0: Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We're back with new episodes in 2017, telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics across the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, and if you'd like to get involved with Diabetics Doing Things, all you have to do is shoot me an email or reach out via Instagram. What's up, everybody? Rob Howe here. Uh, Just wanted to throw some gratitude your way this afternoon because we just crossed over 25,000 downloads all time for Diabetics Doing Things. And I owe that all to you. So thank you guys so much for listening. It totally makes my day whenever you tell me that the podcast has affected you positively in some way. So keep listening. I appreciate you to the max. All right, let's get back to the episode. All right, hello and welcome back to Diabetics Doing Things. Uh, We're back with a new guest today. My very special guest this afternoon is Shelly Green. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And Shelly, you're calling from uh, from Seattle, if I'm not mistaken, right?
1: Seattle, Washington. Originally from Alabama. Really,
0: um, that's quite a that's quite an adjustment.
1: Yes, I've traveled very far, <laughs> um, but yes, talking to you from Seattle and sipping coffee.
0: Well, that uh, I'm I'm a little bit jealous. I, don't, I ran out of coffee this <laughs> afternoon, um, and I'm actually kind of I'm about to do the, my first ever blood sugar test on uh, on air. So I don't know if you just heard my uh, my lancet there, because I was feeling a little bit high this afternoon, and I wasn't sure why what the, what was going on.
1: That's a lot of episodes before your first on-air blood sugar check,
0: right? Like I sh- I should have done it right away, right? That should be, <laughs> that should be like something that we do. Well, not not really high, just one fifty-six. So. No, I, I guess I'm just gonna have to get over the way I feel.
1: <laughs> uh, let me see. I'm at 187 according to my student right now, so a little bit higher.
0: So a little yeah. bit higher, but hey, we're gonna we're gonna make it. We're both over 150, but below 200, so you know we're gonna be just fine. There you go. <laughs> so, Shelly, tell us about. Um, I'm really excited for our interview today. Um, both talking about your sort of professional career as well as your life as a diabetic. Um. Tell us kind of how we got here. How, how, why are you on Diabetics Doing Things? Give us your uh, diagnosis story.
1: Sure. Um, so I was diagnosed at the age of six. Um, I had been sick for quite some time. And uh, one night my dad woke me up in the middle of the night and he just knew something was seriously wrong, took me to the hospital and... Um, Yeah, they weren't sure what was wrong. I would lost a ton of weight. I had dark circles under my eyes, um, was drinking a lot of water, and they weren't sure what was wrong, but admitted me, and uh, so I was at the hospital, and my dad left, went to work, And uh, (laughs) had somebody from the gift shop bring up, it was like a plastic uh, fake champagne bottle full of jelly beans that said, um, I love you on it. And then about right after that, um, somebody came in and told my mom and I that I had been diagnosed with type 1. So uh, for a long time, we joked that we would eat the jelly beans when there was a cure for diabetes. Um, so <laughs> my dad still has that bottle.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. I'm
1: sure they've turned into jawbreakers at this point. But, um, yeah, I... I of course, I had no idea what was going on. I was very overwhelmed, um, really didn't feel well. Uh, when they first admitted me, my blood sugar was 816. Um, and I, for me, I remember there being a lot of scare tactics. Like they came in and when they f- were first talking to my mom about nutrition and food and counting calories and that sort of thing, I remember they kind of started that conversation off with, Um, you know, your, your daughter won't be able to eat a happy meal from McDonald's anymore. And she just started crying. (laughs) I remember being young, but even looking at her and like after learning about injections and that I'm going to have to keep, you know, poking my finger all the time, uh, looking at her and being like, that's, that's the thing that you're upset about that I can't have, uh, the happy meals anymore. And, uh, yeah, that kind of, I think that really shook her and, um, she was also, my family was very overwhelmed. But then they brought in a guy who um, had, ha- he was an adult and he had had type one for some time and he was in a wheelchair. And I remember him taking off his shoes and socks and showing me his feet and he'd had a few toes amputated. And I remember him looking at me and saying, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, this is what's going to happen to you. And again, I'm brand new... Diagnosed diabetic, six years old, and I have no idea what's going on. And that was kind of what was happening. So,
0: gosh, that is awful.
1: Not a great experience.
0: (laughs) That guy, like, wasn't even diabetic. He was just like a mountain climber or something. And they put him in a wheelchair (laughs) and told him to scare kids.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It was awful.
0: (laughs) That's so bad. And I think.
1: I don't know who would sign up for that. It was really bad. Well, and I think.
0: Uh, during that time period, because obviously um, you're older now, so I, I don't I'm not sure exactly what year you were diagnosed, but that was pretty common. I feel like in terms of you know the education around type one, and not necessarily obviously there are great hospitals uh, in the U.S. I was very fortunate. I say it all the time about being diagnosed at Children's Medical Center in Dallas, but. You know, especially in sort of rural counties or in, uh, you know, smaller hospitals and, and, and lower population areas, that was pretty commonplace. So, uh, you know, obviously the scare tactics are, you know, hey, here's here's what could happen to you. Um, you can't have happy meals anymore, which is like what a blessing in disguise. Right. But yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I think, like, talk about what what is that like for a six-year-old and, like, your parents being in that situation, um, coming out of that. I imagine that didn't help, uh, right? You didn't walk out of there empowered to say, I'm never going to be in right. this wheelchair.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, um, I I remember, you know, looking at my mom and asking her, like, how long am I going to have to do this? Um, and, yeah, just just feeling very... Overwhelmed and scared, and I, I didn't know anyone else with type one diabetes. I didn't, um, I didn't know any other kids with type one diabetes. So, I think, um, it that didn't really change for me until I went to diabetes camp, um, which was amazing and definitely one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life. But I think you know, for the first time, getting to see there are other people with type one diabetes. Um, kids people my own age adults um who seem to be doing well and we're not all in wheelchairs with amputated toes um and just I think that also helped I mean you're talking about the empowerment part that's that's where I got that was um you know they start teaching you and that's where I learned how to give myself my own shots and um made a lot of friends. I still have people I talked to who I met that first year, uh, when I was six and that was in 1993. So, um, I, I have great friends from that. And I really, for the first time saw that I could learn and I had, um, the power to kind of control what was happening. And, um, also, that I could still have fun and be a kid um, and be with other people and not be alone and felt really supported. So, um, I know now when I talk to other parents of type 1s, I tell all of them, I'm like, please send your kid to diabetes camp. It was one of the best experiences for me.
0: Uh, do you remember which, uh, which camp you went to?
1: Oh, yeah. That was Camp Harris in Alabama.
0: Fantastic. And, do you, and you, you mentioned about, you know, meeting other kids with type one and that sort of being your first experience. Are you still in touch with any of them today? Do you there, yes. like, friends on Facebook? Yes.
1: yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They're some of my oldest friends, <laughs> which is really, it's been fun to stay. I mean, you know, before Facebook, um, I... You know, you had like the week of diabetes camp, but then the rest of the year we were writing each other letters and talking on the phone and sending mixtapes and um, all sorts of cool things. But so now with Facebook, it's super easy to stay connected. And I love um, seeing their lives and seeing everyone um, from that time doing so well and taking really great care of themselves. And um, they inspire me, too
0: and I think that's something that, you know, you really don't. Oh gosh, my cat is trying to make a podcast appearance over here, just <laughs> carrying on. No. Um, but um, making friends like that at such an early age and, like, when you have that thing in common, yeah. um, I've, I've heard from almost everyone that I've talked to who's been to a diabetes camp of some sort, uh, no matter what age they went, they're still friends with people that they met at that <laughs> camp experience. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more with you talking to, you know, recommending it to people. I was much too cool when I was 16 <laughs> when I got diagnosed to ever go to diabetes camp, yeah. um, which I, you know, looking back, I wish I would have done. Probably the only thing I would have done differently. Um, but we here have Camp Sweeney here in, the, in Texas, and, um, you know, the stories that come out of Camp Sweeney are just fantastic. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely, you know, especially if you don't have a lot of other type 1s around you or, uh, have a smaller type 1 community, Diabetes Camp absolutely uh, comes mm-hmm. highly, highly recommended.
1: Totally, totally. Yeah, I – later on, um, I wound up working at another diabetes camp um, in Arizona and made some great friends there, too. So.
0: Well, and I think now you mentioned, you know, before Facebook, you guys would, you know, make each other mixtapes or whatever, whatever the mm-hmm. line of communication was. Um, but now, you know, with social media being so, uh, you know, forefront and top of mind, like it's so much easier to connect yourself with a type one community, um, yes. you know, whether that be on Instagram or in a Facebook group or, you know, with your GDRF chapter or whatever the case may be. Uh, or just friends. So, um, you know, talk about how, you know, after you met those friends with Type 1 and, and other kids your age, wh- what, it, what, was it, what was your walk with Type 1 like after that?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, I think I had a great experience at camp, but I think, um, you know, as I started to get into my teens, um, I – kind of went into this denial about having type one diabetes and I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, I went out of my way to hide the fact that I had type one diabetes. I didn't want people to know. I didn't want to be seen as somebody with type one diabetes. Um, And I think that, um, you know, I I wasn't being a great diabetic, I wasn't checking my blood sugars very often. Um, I was doing like the bare minimum to get by, but I wasn't doing great. And, um, that for me didn't change until, um, actually I moved out to Seattle. I've been here for about eight or nine years and I met, um, my current endocrinologist and he's amazing, but he really, you know, I, I struggled for a long time. Um, with with type one and just didn't really want to deal with it which now hearing a lot of people in, including other people on the podcast like it seems very common to kind of have that that period of denial and not wanting to do it um but i when i met with my endocrinologist he really he was amazing and he, he gave me some tough love that was much needed and he told me like hey you know you've gotten by on youth for a long time but you can't do that forever And he was like, I think you're depressed about having diabetes, and I think you're kind of in this period of, um, you know, having a hard time with it. And if I don't see you make some changes with your health and how you're taking care of yourself or not taking care of yourself, Um, I'm going to prescribe antidepressants. And that was a huge wake-up call for me. Um, So... I started working with him and kind of reevaluating things and thinking about how I wanted to live my life and what I wanted my future to look like. And um, my A one C got lower and lower. I started feeling better and better. I went back to school uh, up here, which I had not planned on doing, and um, went and did a social work program at UW, uh, University of Washington, and. I had the opportunity to work with patients who had diabetes. And at first, I was like, well, this isn't really something I would want to do as a career. You know, my life is diabetes. Um, I don't know that I'd even want to do it as a job. And then um, I thought, well, I'm in school, I'm a student, maybe I'll just try it to know that I don't like it and then go on to the next thing. So I started, I got a a practicum, what what they call a practicum, like an internship at a dialysis center Mm -hmm. up here. And I loved it. I loved um, being able to bring that knowledge and experience of living with a chronic illness and be able to bring, um, I think, in healthcare, kind of compassion and understanding for what it's like for people to live with chronic illness can get lost. Um, and I liked being able to bring that to my work and understanding what the day-to-day is like. I think a lot of healthcare providers look at you sometimes as a textbook case. And so not really knowing, you know, um, what it's like to live. And so, um, I really enjoyed connecting with people and being able to bring that to my work. And so I finished my practicum there, and they had an open position, and I applied to be a social worker there, and this week I'm celebrating my one-year anniversary with them.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Nice. That's awesome. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so it's funny, though, to look back on my own story. And I think you know for a lot of people who have diabetes type 1 or type 2 and are on dialysis, um a lot of them have had some really hard times, but I, you know, being a bad diabetic before, I really understand what it's like to be in that place, um, to struggle and to have a hard time and be in denial and and uh, kind of come from that too. So it's really I would have never in a million years thought I'd be in this job, <laughs> doing this, but I love it.
0: Yeah, but I think that makes you know you never would have chosen to be diagnosed with type one, right? So it's oh, like, yeah, um, it's it's very interesting. And I think you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of people struggle with acceptance or depression at certain periods with their diabetes. But um, on the other end of that spectrum, uh, a lot of people find, uh, you know, their voice as a type one as a person with a chronic illness, mm-hmm. who is living and thriving. And I think, Um, Whether that's interacting with uh, kids or other type ones or people with type two who are people who are on dialysis sort of showing that like hey I have this too and I'm pretty normal, you know, at least at least in that and I think, um, you know, when you were talking about connecting with the patients, you know, above a clinical level. Um, I was thinking of some of the work that I do with JDRF and uh, what they call D101, which is like diabetes 101 training. It's like a full day of nutrition and testing, and they give you all of your information to your family. And Mm -hmm. and then at the end, we come in, uh, I I go in with uh, JDRF Dallas, and I just sort of stand there and I like wave. And I'm like, hey, like I'm a normal person living with type one, like it's going to be just fine. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, people are, you know, have heard so much information over, over the course of the day and they're like, "Ah, I can't hear anymore. But other times Mm -hmm. they, it sort of clicks for them. They're like, okay, I can take a deep breath and everything's going to be all right. Yeah. And so talk about like that, that feeling, right?
1: For sure. Um, I think one of the things that I, love seeing every day is kind of part of that like you know figuring out kind of um my identity as a person living with type one and going from like being in a place where you know I'd go out of my way to hide it to now like feeling like it empowers me and I'm a better person because of it and and um having great people around me who support me and and not hiding it and um being proud and and uh, encouraging me to take care of myself and to not hide that. But, um, I think, you know, you were talking about earlier with social media and seeing, um, people sharing their stories every day. And I, I love that. I love being so connected through social media because it's even, you know, I think now, oh, I don't, I don't go out of my way to hide it. I'm being really transparent. I talk, you know, I talk about diabetes and what it's like. And then I see people on Instagram that are like showing videos of doing their pump site changes, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome! Like, I, you know, I I want to want to see more of that. And I want to. It's it's great to see people doing really awesome things, and this is just part of their life too. So,
0: yeah, it is. It's kind of like. Uh, At first, and and sometimes still, like I'll be scrolling through my Instagram feed, and Instagram's like so curated and beautiful. It's like photos and like super great design, and then it's just like a like a sight check or like a (laughs) or or a finger stick, and it's like God, diabetes is gross. But um, (laughs) like you said, it's just really uh, honest and open. It's like, hey, this is what we're doing today. Like everybody else is sharing what they're doing, might as well you know give a little insight as to what it's really like.
1: Right? I love it. Yeah, I know. You see, like, the bloody pump site, and you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah, totally. Shocked, cut off guard. And then you're like, yeah, but that's, that's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, you know, that was me two days ago, and it's just like, I love that, you know, people share that, so...
0: And I th- I think I want to I want to go back as uh, you know before we get kind of too into how how great the diabetes community is because we could you know ch- chat for the rest of the day about that I think but okay, yeah um, an issue that you said that you mentioned that you've heard a lot on this podcast and I know we talked a lot about um, with some of our previous guests is um, that feeling of sort of denial depression and um, rebelling I guess may not be the right word but like. Um, acceptance and uh, like that denial to acceptance phase, and I want to focus on not the negative, but after you have that conversation with your doctor, um, what what do you what do you do next? What what were those steps? I imagine it was a process, not necessarily like an overnight change, but yeah. walk me through that. Yeah,
1: so uh, part of it is I I had really gotten to know my doctor. He's also from Alabama, so we had this. Um, connection and and he's funny. A sense of humor is um, totally my coping thing, um, and so we we would banter and talk. But he knew kind of where to push me a little bit. So one of the things that happened is he got a little uh, competitive with me. Like he told me, you know, what do you what do you think you could get your A one C down to? And I told him I think at the time my A one C was like eight, um, and I told him. I, I think I could probably get down to seven, and he looked at me. He's like, "Hmm, I don't, I don't know if you could do that." (laughs) I was like, "Oh, okay, it's on. Like, that's a challenge." Um, So I really started looking at like how you know I took that challenge, and I thought, you know, I've made it this far. um, Just did a lot of life review and thinking about you know, like I heard so many weird things when I was first diagnosed. Like I had a there, there wasn't a pediatric endocrinologist where I grew up. Um, so I was seeing an adult endocrinologist, who told me that, um, and told my parents probably by the time I was twenty five I would be blind. And I'm thinking, like, here I am, I'm almost thirty, and I feel pretty good. Like, how do I continue this? And so then doing like a lot of life review, taking the the challenge from my doctor, and thinking like you know oh and and he had asked me too like what are some of your goals and how do we get you there and so then like kind of focusing on that too and having something to look forward to and thinking like how do i get there and how do i be my best self and visualizing what that looks like and so um just a lot of conversations with him at first and then thinking about like, okay, well, I think maybe I want to go to grad school. And he said, well, let's, if that's a thing you want to do, then let's get you, you know, your blood sugars in great control. Let's get you as healthy as possible. And, um, so you can be as smart as possible and go and have a great experience. Um, so really focusing on some of my goals and things I wanted to do and how I wanted to feel when I got there. Um, that's that's really what helped kind of shift things for me.
0: So really, it wasn't even a it wasn't even a, I guess a, a change as much as it was like a reframe. Like stop looking at it like yeah. consequences and more look at it like an opportunity. And what do you want? and More like an attainable mm-hmm. goal rather than some inevitable um, terrible thing that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think other. Um, other healthcare providers, too, were like, "Hey, um, you know what it, what is it you can learn from diabetes and and ben- how do you benefit from diabetes? But, like you're saying, kind of reframe it that way instead of it being this constant thing that um, I had a terrible relationship with. like how did i how how could I change that? And really understanding like now is the time that I have to do that
0: so what did what how did you benefit from diabetes? What did you reframe that into?
1: Um, I think um, you know, I started looking at you know when instead of always fighting my blood sugars or trying to chase them, thinking about like, how could I change how I'm doing things so that I'm more in control and like preventing highs and lows, like how can I control how I feel instead of just constantly going back and forth between highs and lows. So like, what it what is my responsibility in that, you know? And then, and then benefiting from feeling better and realizing, Oh wow, I feel better. Um, I'm able to do more things. I have more energy. Um, uh, my sense of humor is coming back. Like, and then, and then, um, looking too at at things I had learned, relationships I had had because of diabetes, uh, the type of person I am because of diabetes and like the humility that comes from having a a chronic illness um, and just looking at that, what experiences I had had, people I had met and then um, trying to move forward and being responsible for my health.
0: I love that because I think that those things are not what immediately come to mind when you think of oh I need to lower my A one C, right? Um, yes. Those are not those are not like immediate tactics that you would come into. But um, I read this example um, earlier this year about you know process engineering. So if you were going to uh, you know a lot of people will say throughout their life at some point that they want to drink less coffee, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. that they don't want to rely on, you know, that much caffeine to get them through their day. Um, So, you know, they may try to just not drink coffee, but then they find that that isn't sustainable. But what they really should do is back out even further and say, okay, well, why do I need to drink coffee? Well, I'm tired. Well, why am I tired? Well, I went to bed really late because I was up or I, you know, got inconsistent sleep patterns because I was, you know, out really late or was drinking or something else, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, the real solve to drink less coffee was the day before or the lifestyle or, you know, the decisions that they were making the, uh, like uh, with their time when they really didn't even see that. So it's it's funny how, you know, acceptance and, you know, the way that you talk to yourself about your blood sugars and the way that you view yourself as a diabetic can affect your blood sugar.
1: Mm hmm. Yes.
0: And yeah. I think it's so, you know, obviously you talked about, you know, you you went back to school and you, you know, found your this this job that you've now been out for a year. Um, but, you know, immediately and sort of in the short term, how did uh, that mindset shift and sort of reframe affect your, you know, affect your life? What was what were the results? Um... Even as simple as just like the way that you uh The way that you felt, or you know, your blood sugars, or the way that you tested, or something, you know, something easy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I started checking my blood sugars a lot more often. Um I felt a lot less tired and groggy. Um I did this is kind of a, a weird thought, but it's true. Um I because my blood sugars had been so much higher, I wasn't really absorbing food and nutrients. So then when I started taking better care of my blood sugars and got my A1C down, um, I gained weight because <laughs> then I was keeping all that stuff. But I felt so much better. I didn't have dark circles under my eyes. Um, so that was an interesting thing that happened. But I had a lot more energy to to do the things I'd been wanting to do. And, and you know, I felt it's like you sometimes don't realize how bad you felt until you start feeling better. And that definitely was, was my experience. I didn't realize, you know, I just kind of thought that was how living with diabetes was like. And then I started realizing like, Oh, I do, you know, I can do things to feel better. And I I can, I do have a a part to play in this. And I think like, you know, a lot of times when I'm um, working with patients kind of my approach is to to tell them like, hey, you have an awesome team of people to help you, but you're also on that team and you're the most important member of the team. So like you have a responsibility in and in being involved in your care. And I think like I often have to remind myself of the of that advice too. It's like, you know, I have to I have to be responsible and, and I have I have an important part to play. So um, you know, sometimes I might not do the best job and I might not have the best blood sugars, but I'm I'm showing up and I'm still I'm trying and I'm I'm doing the best that I can. And I think I wasn't always doing that before. I just kind of wanted to to pretend it didn't exist sometimes. But you know, I actually things go a lot better when I do show up. So
0: it's amazing how much like, you know, success success. is just showing up. You know, some days you're not even gonna you don't even have to really work hard you know I have this uh a really good friend of mine gave me this mug one time that just says show up be cool on it (laughs) and uh yeah that's just that's so so true uh, you know not only for you know activities outside of yourself but for yourself you know Mm -hmm. and like you said you're sort of a one you're you're the first member of that team um and this is it's the Shelly team or the Rob team or the um And you know, it's, it's essential. Like, like you said, testing your blood sugar more often helped you have lower, lower your A1C that doesn't Mm -hmm. scientifically, those two are not necessarily related, but then you just start to care more. You start to have a higher level of awareness. And I think, um, that's really, that's really powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have the lowest A1C I've ever had and I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. So
0: that's awesome. What's your low, what's your A1C?
1: Um, right now, well, my last one was 6.4. Nice. So That's awesome. I, mean, I want, I wanted, I want to aim for a little bit lower, but I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. I,
0: uh, actually have my lowest in 10 years as well. I, I honeymooned for a long time after I was diagnosed, so I had pretty low when I was, uh, early on, but I'm oh. a 6.1 right now. Nice. Um, and someone asked me, I posted it on Facebook, and one of my friends who's not a diabetic asked, um, sort of what was the, because I I eat pretty healthy and I've exercised and I've been, you know, in control of my health for most of my life, but um, he asked what the the primary change was that sort of brought it down, Um, and it was so weird because I hadn't thought of that, and honestly, nothing really changed out of my habits except that I was going to the doctor more often, so I- you know, went went every six months like I was supposed to, instead of you know having you know six nine months a year or whatever in between, and so I just had more awareness. There was more more eyeballs on it, uh, more consistency, and yeah. it made a huge difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know that that that's made a huge difference for me. And I I'm always telling people and reminding myself that that um, having a good doctor and somebody that you click well with um, is really important. Um, cause they can help you a lot, but they, like, I mean, when, when my doctor encourages me to be in controlling and, ha- and having those frequent check-ins, um, it, yeah, that's made a huge difference for me too.
0: It's great. I, I think like, uh, an underrated relationship in, mm-hmm. in, in a diabetic's life you know, we talk about going to your doctor, but we don't really talk about, you know, what the relationship is like when you get there. Um, and I think especially for people who had a a negative diagnosis experience, I'm not to characterize it as all positive or negative, obviously that there, there are some with both, but, um, leaving the hospital with a sense that, you know, this is not exactly good and I'm not sure where to go from here. I think even more so is important that you find that good relationship with an endo or your general practitioner.
1: Yeah, Absolutely
0: so um so Shelly, uh, you know you got your lowest A1c ever uh, you're about to be 30. what are you looking forward to uh, in the world of type 1 diabetes what do you lo- what is Shelly Green excited about
1: oh wow um, I I just got my um, I would I had it so I did injections to begin with at first and then had an insulin pump for a little bit and then I went back to injections and I Just about a year ago, got my um, T-Slim with my Dexcom, and I am loving that. Um, Super excited to get the next Dexcom. Um, I think I'm interested to see what happens with the artificial pancreas, the closed-loop systems. Um, So we'll see. Um, My doctor, too. He's interesting, but we, we talk about this a lot um, also in our visits, kind of like what's happening, um, what to look forward to, but um, he he is very much against not jumping on the bandwagon of like whatever the newest thing is and to see kind of like if you have a good system, wait um, and see what else comes out. So I feel like right now I have a great system that's helped me a lot. Um Yeah.
0: It sounds like he's on that good old Alabama thinking, if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
1: <laughs> it's true. Yes, he definitely is. <laughs>
0: yeah, my uh, my dad's family, my dad and his family are all from Alabama. So um, I've got plenty of that good uh, country wisdom uh, woven <laughs> into my life. I'm very grateful for that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so... I always ask this question, and I typically get the same answer from from like eighty percent of people. So I may I'm, I'm trying to rethink a way to to ask it that maybe I can get some different responses. But um, I'm really excited for your answer. So I, I always say, if there's one thing that you could tell someone who was just diagnosed with type one, um, mm-hmm. regardless of age, what would it be that you tell them?
1: So I think I have two things that come to mind. One is, I mean, one thing that has helped me is having a sense of humor about things and finding a way to cope. But I think what I would get out of that that I would tell somebody else is figure out what's going to help you in the rest of your life um, that helps you cope, whatever that is. For me, it's laughing and uh, comedy and joking and being with my friends. And that makes me a better person and helps me to better deal with diabetes and the daily struggles. Um, So, of course, I'm going to say having a sense of humor has been number one for me. Um, The second thing I think I would tell people is focus on... Making sure you have people around you that support you um, and encourage you to take care of yourself, because I think that you know when you're when you're dealing with diabetes as a daily thing, making sure that you have those people around you for those tough times um, is really important. But also to celebrate the good things. Um, I love being able to to tell my friends like, oh my gosh, my A one C is the best it's ever been since I was diagnosed, and to have them really celebrate that. Um, I'm about to have my uh, diabetes anniversary this month, so it'll be 24 years, and my friends are excited about it and the people in my life. Um, my fiancé is super supportive and helps me change my pump sites and checks my CGM almost as much as I do, and and it just it makes... It makes a huge difference to make sure that you have those people in your life that are going to support you and and help you out during the during the bad times, but also to celebrate you during the good times, too.
0: That's uh, so true. Couldn't agree more. And you're lucky I let you get away with two things, because uh, the question is one thing. So you're a rule breaker. I get it.
1: <laughs> it's true. It's true. Probably also how I've gotten this far. <laughs>
0: No, and I I totally agree there as well. Uh, You know, what what works for everybody doesn't work, you know, for some people as well. So, um, Shelley, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, And also, I appreciate your patience and kind of uh, with the crazy scheduling and different things that were going on right before our call. Uh, Totally appreciate your patience. And uh, it was great to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and, and thanks for everything you do to connect the people with diabetes. Um, I know it makes a huge difference and, and I love it.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, that means so much to me. This is uh, this is one of my favorite things. So it fills my cup. So just to get to meet and talk to uh, other people around the country. So and they're actually around the world as well. Um, yeah. If our listeners want to connect with you on social, if that's something that you be into, uh, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Instagram at uh, Miss Shelley, M I S S H E L L E Y, and also on Facebook. So feel free to follow or connect with me on there.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, I will include those links in the show notes. And, uh, Shelley, we will talk soon.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Rob.
0: Thanks again for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. I'm going to try a new thing. I'm going to start sending out a Friday newsletter with just my thoughts for the week and some questions that you guys have asked either on social media or that you emailed me. So if you want to do that, just subscribe on the website, diabeticsdoingthings.com. See you again next time.